Bibles, I encourage you to turn uh, to Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. That's going to be our, our scripture today. Luke 2, verses 41 through 52. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover, and when he became twelve, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it, but supposed him to be in the caravan and win a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. I, I, I don't know if you've really lived a full, wonderful childhood if you didn't have the opportunity to get lost and scare your parents. I think a lot of us have been there at least once where we sort of let go of their hand in public and they got that panic or maybe we played hide-and-go-seek and we hid for a little too long and they couldn't find us. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I was there and I can tell you I've had a wonderful full childhood because of it. We arrived to church early. I was about six or seven years old. And there were other kids there before service was starting. It was a Wednesday evening, and so we started playing hide-and-seek, and the whole church was open for that. So I took my friend Josh, and him and I, we hid behind a chair in the basement of the church. And, and to tell you the truth, it wasn't that great of a hiding spot. It would be the same as if I were just going to hide behind this stool. But we sat there, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and nobody found us, and we thought, we are the kings of hide-and-seek. No one is ever going to find us in this spot. This is incredible. And we waited, and we waited, and pretty soon some adults filed into that room, and we saw them sit in the chairs, and one of them said, my goodness, I hope we find those boys. We better pray for them right now. And I got to thinking, what boys are they looking for? How good of hide-and-seek are we that they can't even... And so we, you know, moved out from the chairs and said, Are you looking for us? And oh my goodness, the panic, the anxiousness. My mom, you know, they went and told her and, and she hugged me. And it was one of those hugs you've probably gotten where she was very happy that I was in her arms but also very angry at me. <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic to see in your parents, but I saw it. 
And, and you know, all of that was an innocence. All of that, you know, I, I wasn't running away from my parents. We weren't trying to scare anybody. But that's what ended up happening is people got anxious and scared because we were so good at hide-and-go-seek. The same event happens to Mary and Joseph in the life of Jesus. They travel down from Nazareth, down to Jerusalem, and, and I looked at the map a few days ago. That's about an 80-mile journey. Assuming that they can get through about 20 to 25 miles a day, it's a four-day journey just to get to Jerusalem. And this text indicates that they did this yearly. Every year at the Feast of the Passover, they would travel down from Nazareth into Jerusalem and not only go for a day or two for the feast, but they would stay for the full number of days. That's seven full days of festivities to celebrate the Feast of the Passover. So, Here's what we're talking about. They are traveling 20 to 25 miles a day. The text indicates that they're not traveling alone. They've got other relatives. They've got friends with them. So they've got a whole crowd of people that they're headed down to Jerusalem. And when they get into Jerusalem, they begin to celebrate. Not only do they begin to celebrate, but Jesus is 12 years old. And so it's more likely than not his first time entering into the city of Jerusalem. This is his first time going in to celebrate the feast of the Passover in the city of Jerusalem. And if you know anything about the feast of the Passover, it's one of the greatest feasts that the Jewish people could be celebrating because it was a feast that celebrated when God brought them out of slavery to Egypt and brought them into the promised land to continue their relationship with him. So this is a seven-day feast where you are celebrating the salvation of of you and your people. It is a celebration of how God has brought the law to the people, how God never forgets his people, how God never forsakes his people. And so imagine 12-year-old Jesus, the Son of God, Messiah, Savior of the world. He came down from heaven and now he has the opportunity to go in and worship God as one of the people. You stop to consider probably the, the, uh, the awe and wonder that he might have been in walking into that city. Not just walking into that city, but walking into the temple for the first time. That's enough to just blow your mind to think, wait a second, he's the one that gave them orders to build that temple, and now he's in that temple experiencing it for the first time as a human, but wait, he's been there before, but wait, he's also, you know, this is going on, I would imagine, in Jesus' mind where he walks in and, and there is just all of these people there to worship God. All of these people are here to remember how God never forsakes them. Our youth group, some of our youth group anyway, is down to Cincinnati and, and they're at a worship conference through this weekend and the next few days. Uh, it's called Follow. It's a Wesleyan Youth Conference. I saw pictures last night of their conference, and it's incredible. There's thousands of students from all over the country at that conference, and there is just extravagant worship. And, and there's pictures not only of the students sitting and listening to the Word of God that's being preached, but it's all, there's also pictures of them worshiping God, and there's even pictures of, of them praying with one another. This is an incredible event that our students are going to be at. And I imagine in a few days, they're not going to want to leave because there's going to be such an amazing atmosphere that they are in. 
And that's what Jesus is pulled into. Jesus is pulled into this incredible atmosphere of focusing on God and nothing else. Well, he gets so pulled in that his family ends up leaving without him. And so Mary and Joseph grab the caravan, grab the the friends and the family and their luggage, and they begin to leave Jerusalem. And it says they head out about a day's journey, which is about 20 to 25 miles. And so a day's journey out is when they realize that Jesus isn't actually with them. That whole time they assume, hey, have you seen Jesus? I haven't seen him, but I think he's with my mom back there. Oh, okay, I'm sure he is. Boy, I haven't seen Jesus in a few hours. Did you get lunch to him? I didn't give him lunch, but I bet he's back there with our friends. I think I saw him playing with the other kids. Okay, let's just keep moving on. And at the end of the day is when they realize he's not in the caravan, he is not with them. I would imagine a little bit of panic and anxiety began to set in at that point. You know, it's just enough if you misplace your own kid. It's a little bit more when you misplace somebody else's kid. It's a little bit more when that other person's kid is God. (laughs) They've not only lost their kid, they've lost the Son of God. They've lost the Messiah. They've kept him safe for 12 years, but of course, this is the moment we lose them. And they're already a day's journey out. So now they've got to configure, okay, how are we going to work this? All right, family, you guys move on ahead. We're going to go back to Jerusalem and look for him. And so they head back to Jerusalem to begin to look for him. And the scripture says it takes them three days to find him. Now, where they looked, I don't know. Maybe they found a relative's house that they stayed with in the city. Maybe they asked around the marketplace. But we know that it was three days in the city. But you're talking one day to get back to the city, one day before that where they exited the city, five days where they cannot find Jesus, the Son of God, their child. At this point, anxiety and panic is setting in to no extent, I would imagine. Five days where they are not sure if they're going to find him, and when they do find him, what are they going to find? But they finally do find him, and where is Jesus at? The temple. And what's he doing? Preaching. Preaching. Worshiping God. Teaching the scriptures as if though he knows them. Which is incredible because at 12 years old is going to be the first year that the rabbis actually begin to trust to teach Jewish men about the scriptures. So Jesus probably hasn't even stepped foot in a school yet. He's just applying to learn under some of the rabbis. And he's sitting in the temple and he's discussing scripture with them. And it says they're astonished and amazed. Because he's asking questions and he is giving answers. That's how Jewish men taught. That's how rabbis taught. They didn't just give answers, but they asked you questions, which meant Jesus was reading the scriptures with grown men that have spent their entire life reading the scriptures, and he was asking questions that they never even thought of asking themselves. And then when they asked him questions, he was giving answers that they didn't know they had. Jesus didn't want to leave the presence of God. 
Jesus wanted to stay in that temple, and he wanted to worship his father. And sure enough, that's what he tells Mary and Joseph. When they walk in the temple and find him, I would imagine, just like when my mother found me and there was a lot of comfort, a little bit of anger, Mary probably hugged him about the same. And, and you can feel that when you read the scripture, that, that Mary, you know, she's, okay, all right, I, I know you're the son of God, I, I know you're special, but why would you do this to us? You know better. You're old enough to know that when we leave, you leave with us. Why would you cause this anxiety? And Jesus' answer is simple. Where else did you think I wanted to be? Where, where else did you think you could find me if I wasn't with you? I was with my Father. And, and he doesn't just say I wanted to be there. He, he's compelled. He's captivated. He says, I had to be with my Father. I had to be here because this is where God is. And then what we hear is that he continued in subjection to Mary and Joseph, which, which is a really humble way that the Scripture has of saying that Jesus sort of learned his lesson to some extent where it was, oh, okay, I, I won't ever do that to them again. You know, he's, he is 12 He's still learning, okay? And so basically what it says is he, he lived with Mary and Joseph as if though they actually had authority over him. Sort of, sort of to say, I'm going to let them be for a little while. And it says about Mary that she treasured these things in her heart, which means she was learning a little bit about God. That Jesus' answer probably changed her just a little bit, that she treasured this in her heart to begin to realize what's more important in my life. Is it getting home on time? Or is it spending time with God, like Jesus did? And then it continues to say that Jesus continued to grow in stature with the Lord, which is another way of saying that if you thought you were impressed by how he answered the questions of the rabbis, wait till he gets older. He's got a lot more correcting to do with the rabbis. So where do we go with the scripture? What, what does this tell us about our life with the Lord? Well, first of all, if you've been a Christian for some time, you'll have learned the lesson, God doesn't care a whole lot about your comfort. I, I'm not that old, I've been a Christian most of my life, and in that time, God has never asked me if I'm comfortable with his decision-making. I wish he would. I wish he'd run things by me before he called me to do it. I wish he'd give me a chance to let him know how I feel about his calling, about his work. But he has never once cared about whether I'm comfortable in his will or not. In fact, it, it tends to be the opposite. That if I'm going to grow in him at any point in my life, it's going to take very uncomfortable moments to do that. You look at Mary and Joseph, look at the journey that they had to take. So first of all, remember, Joseph is a working man. He's a carpenter. He's got to shut down his business for the days that he's traveling. And when you add it all up, what they're looking at is that he would be traveling about 
four days to, seven days at, four days back, so rough math, about 15 days, give or take. So the plan was we're going to be gone two weeks, all right, just two weeks. I'll shut down the business for that two weeks. We've saved enough money to travel to Jerusalem. We can stay with my relatives or your relatives. We know people there. Okay, and then we'll travel with friends and family. We'll share food. Okay, we're going to lose a little bit of money on this, but it's worth it. Okay, God, did you hear us? We know it's worth it. We're going to go down to Jerusalem. We've planned out about two weeks but that's all we can afford, God, okay? So just two weeks and we'll be fine. And then what does Jesus do to them? They stay a few more days because he gets lost. What we're looking at is instead of two weeks, Jesus staying behind in the temple and Mary and Joseph having to go back to find him and bring him home, we're looking at three weeks now. I don't know about you, but three weeks away from home is pretty difficult. Three weeks away from home when I've only planned two weeks away from home is even more difficult. Throw in the mix that I thought I might have lost the Son of God. Now we're talking about complete and total discomfort in my life with the Lord. But look at the lesson that was learned from all of it. Jesus was pointing out to Mary and Joseph that God has greater priorities than them. God's priorities for their life was much greater and more vast than the priorities they set for themselves. When you enter into a relationship with God and you do His will, trust me when I say this, discomfort is coming. And once that passes... There's going to be a few more seasons where God is going to push you. God is going to call you to do some things that are going to seem impossible. God is going to call you to do some things that you wouldn't regularly jump in the middle of. But because he has greater priorities than you do, he's going to call you to do it, and he's going to give you the strength to do it. God doesn't care about your comfort but he does provide you strength to do what he calls you to do. And he does, it's a little bit of a paradox, he does provide the comfort for you to do it. It's just not the comfort that you usually find. The comfort that Mary and Joseph had is they finally did find Jesus and they got an answer that should have or could have or did inspire them in their relationship with the Lord. If you ask me, that's worth an extra week of vacation time and money and anything that would have cost them what it did. The second point that we get from this is we need to make sure as Christians that we're not spending so much time serving Jesus that we forget to follow him. Now, I know that sounds like a wordplay. Here's what I mean by it. Sometimes we get into modes of serving Jesus that we forget to stop and ask if that's even what Jesus wants us to do. Sometimes we get plans in our Christian life to serve God and to do what we think he's called us to do, that in some cases we leave him behind in the temple and we go on our way to the plan that we've established. We need to be careful as Christians when we do that because when we do that, we're doing it with good intentions, But the outcome isn't good. The outcome is that 
we've left what Jesus wanted us to do and we've moved on to what we think we should do. And what comes with that really is exhaustion. What happens when you think you're doing God's will and you haven't consulted with God if it was his will, you just get tired. You get frustrated and you don't like the results. And then you go to Jesus and you say, why have you done this to me? And he says, you didn't even ask me if, I, if it's what I wanted you to do. You, you didn't even ask me if I was ready to leave the temple. You just left. When we serve Jesus, we need to make sure that we're going to him to see what he's calling us to do and what he is equipping us to do. Part of this takes uh, working with other Christians to speak into our life. Part of this takes a prayer life where we're constantly seeking God's will in our time of prayer. And how these go hand in hand is that we pray for God to call us and we pray that if it's not the right way that he would close the door and wherever God is going to lead us that he would show us. And then we also go to our fellow Christians and we ask for accountability. We run it by other Christians and say, I feel like God is calling me to do this. Does that resonate with your prayer life? Can you pray for me as well? Because I think this is where God is calling me to go. But of course, I don't want to go where God doesn't want me to go. You get other Christians to pray with you and pray for you. And what you'll begin to discern is that God is going to lead you where you need to go. Which brings me to my third point. God will never leave you or forsake you. This is Jesus' promise. He gives it in Matthew 28 at the Great Commission. He says, Lo, I am be Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am always with you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you believe that he died for your sins and was raised to life on, uh, after the cross, if you believe in Jesus Christ, he is not going to leave you. But notice what he did with Mary and Joseph. He didn't run away from Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph left him. Do you see the difference? I know, he's only 12. We'll, we'll give Jesus a break here, okay? This is, you know, there's some innocence here. But not only that, Jesus was very intentional to be in the temple with the Father, worshiping God, teaching others the truth. And it was Mary and Joseph who decided in their own plans that they were going to get up and they were going to go. And the result of that was panic and anxiousness. The result of that was frustration in what Jesus decided to do. And notice the result of all of that, the answer that Jesus gives, why are you so anxious? You knew I had to be with my father. Sometimes we get into seasons where we feel like God has left us. We get into seasons where it's hard to listen to the voice of God. For some reason, our prayer time is difficult. Reading the scriptures is difficult. But what you need to know first, the truth is, Jesus hasn't abandoned you. You need to know that. Jesus has not forsaken you. Jesus is still with you every step of the way. But when you get into those seasons, it's a reminder to step back and begin to pray, Jesus, where are you? I, I know you're with me, Jesus, but I need to know where you're at so I can find you. I need to know 
where you are so I can speak with you again. Again, Jesus hasn't forsaken you. He's still with you. But another way to put it is, you're looking this way, Jesus might be looking that way. And the panic and frustration that might be in your spiritual life is assuming that because he's looking that way, he must not be looking at you at all. That's not the case. He's still with you. He's trying to get your attention elsewhere, though. He's trying to get your focus back into God's will. Which brings me into my last point. Are we captivated by what Jesus is captivated by? Is our attention being drawn to what Jesus' attention is at? Or do we have our own uh, areas of attention that we want to give to? This is back to the question of comfort and priorities. God's priorities are much different than ours. If we were to lay them side by side, you would be astonished at how much God says, I don't care about that, I don't care about that, I don't care about that. Here's what I care about. And so a question to ask yourself in your spiritual life is, am I focused on what Jesus is focused on? Mary and Joseph were focused on getting home. Mary and Joseph were focused on making sure the caravan was together and everybody was fed and there was a place to stay each night. Not to say those are bad priorities, but the main priority was Jesus. And what was Jesus' priority? Serving God the Father. It's a reminder in our spiritual life that we, when we get into moments where, where we sit back and say, you know, I haven't heard from God in a while. You know, I, I've been really doing difficult time with my prayer and, and worship has been stale and I just don't know what's happening in my life. That's a good time to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, what have you been focused on? Jesus, where is your focus so that I can see what you're seeing? A good place to start in your spiritual life when it gets difficult is to begin to ask Jesus the question, what do you want me to focus on? Are we captivated by what Jesus is captivated by? The last time I preached on this message, I told you you haven't lived a full childhood until you've you know, gotten lost and scared your parents. Well, my daughter, Eden, has lived a full childhood. The last time I preached on this passage, she decided that she was going to play hide-and-go-seek. And it was the first time I was preaching at the church I was at. And so I just, I look, I, it was just one of, the, one of those mornings. You know what I'm talking about. Nothing's working, so it was a perfect time for her to do this. We were getting ready to leave, and we begin to shout for her name, and we shout, and we shout, and we shout. And she's nowhere to be found in the house. And so, of course, the next step was look outside the house, look around the house, begin asking others. And, and I, I mean, I was in dress clothes, and I'm running up and down the sidewalk, and I grab some random guy. Have you seen a little girl about this tall, about three years old? No. Okay, never mind, bye. You know, and, and I'm running all around, and I get back to the house, and guess where she was? In the house the whole time. She was hiding in the utility closet that we had, and, and my wife Emily said that when she opened the door, you know, she was just sitting there, you know, she knew she didn't do something right. She, she knew that. But we had a talk with her, 
about how we don't play hide-and-go-seek without us knowing and so on. But let me tell you, the pure joy and comfort that came when we did find her. Because we had the tendency to think worst-case scenario. We had the tendency to think she's run away. Somebody has grabbed her. She is in danger. And then when we found her, we had pure joy and comfort. Little bit, little bit of anger. But pure joy and comfort when we did find her. This is the kind of joy and comfort that comes when we finally find Jesus. She didn't run away from us. She didn't abandon us. We misplaced her. When you go through these moments in your spiritual life, and I'm sure some of you are already reeling from the Christmas season, and, and there is the feeling that we just spent the whole month of December preparing for the coming of Jesus into this world, and I know a lot of you are going to go home and just rest on the couch for like a month. And that's what it's going to feel like coming out of the Christmas season. And for some of you, it's going to be difficult spiritually because you feel like you gave your all to the Christmas season and then you come out of it and you're going to begin to ask the question, maybe, or maybe you already have, or maybe it's been a whole season where you've been asking this question, where did Jesus go? Where has he been in my life? Remember, he hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. But you need to seek him. You need to seek his priorities. You need to pray with other Christians about what God's will is for your life. And you need to endure the discomfort when God asks you to do something because the greater result is his comfort when he does come and speak. Let's stand and worship. Let's pray. God, we thank you for everything that you have given us and everything that you have done in our lives. We thank you, Jesus, that you have never left us, that you have never forsaken us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you speak to us what the Father's will is. Lord, for anyone that's here,